Hello and welcome to Motorsport Week's F1 podcast series, Motorsport Speak, the show where we discuss about the latest days happening in the world of Formula One. Tom Kent's your host alongside Nathan Hine, Will Knight and Hannah Pethurk. We review last weekend's Spanish Grand Prix with Lewis Hamilton making it three wins out of four to extend his lead in the championship after a combination of speed, strategy and teamwork. In his 100th race for Red Bull, Max Verstappen had to settle for second and Bottas completing another double podium for Mercedes. A rundown on the latest is happening in the last seven days, with question marks raised over whether next month's Turkish Grand Prix will be going ahead following the news of the country being confirmed on the UK's red list. Hello, Nathan. Hello, Hannah. Hello, Will. How are we all? Good weekend. And I have to say, you know, the Spanish Grand Prix, it felt like a standard kind of race, but it was a great standard of um, racing. Um, Will, we begin with you on your take on the, the Spanish race this weekend. How did you find it? Um, well, I was actually quite surprised to see people coming out and saying that they thought it was a boring race, to be honest, because I really did enjoy it. I thought it was another good chapter in the battle between Hamilton and Verstappen. And obviously, although the overtaking wasn't uh, as common as we would like it to be, drivers had to fight to get past. You saw Sergio Perez's overtake on Daniel Ricciardo in the later stages of the Grand Prix. That really did require some skill. So although... It might not making it might not be making overtaking as common as we'd like it. It really does show which of the drivers are the best of the best. Nathan, Will touching on the point there that a lot of people saying it was a boring race. Well, I don't know what I don't know what race they were watching because it was not boring at all. Yeah, I absolutely agree. You know, it was a fantastic Spanish Grand Prix, judging by previous years where we've had a rather static race you know for large parts of that race you had Hamilton and Verstappen separated by less than a second and then the different strategies coming into play in the second half of the Grand Prix and as well as huge battling throughout the rest of the order with drivers fighting for all the points playing positions so yeah it was a, a really decent race and a, another good chapter in this 2021 season. We certainly so and you know if strategy is going to become quite a feat this season Hannah then this could be what decides the championship when we look back on it. Absolutely. I think a lot of people assume that, oh, it'll be on the edge racing all of the time and things like that. But ultimately, it is going to be the strategy that decides who wins. I also think it's not necessarily just Verstappen and Hamilton who decide who wins. It's whichever one can get their number two driver, either Bottas or Perez, up with them because Max is very much forced into his position by virtue of the fact that Mercedes had two cars at the front of which they could use their strategy on. I think overall it was an exciting race. I feel like it was not saying exciting in the traditional sense of, oh, lots of overtakes at the front, but ultimately strategy is a crucial part of Formula 1, and it's you don't just win races by being the quickest, you win races by being the smartest. So I'm excited to see where it takes the rest of the season. And Mercedes once again outmaneuvering Red Bull in the pit stops. And Hamilton's second tyre change paid dividends later on by passing Max Verstappen. With seven laps remaining, he'll go on to win by over 15 seconds with Max Verstappen in second place. It's Bottas in third. Charles Leclerc in the top four again for Ferrari. Another brilliant result for him. I think that's his third, fourth place in a row or something. Or third, fourth place out of four. So third, fourth place out of four races in 2021. My apologies there. Sergio Perez was fifth for Red Bull. Dan Ricciardo in sixth for McLaren. That's Carlos Sainz in seventh on home turf for Ferrari. Lando Norris was eighth in the second McLaren. Esteban Ocon was ninth for Alpine. 
and Pierre Gasly taking the final point for AlphaTauri in 10th. Lance Stroll was 11, followed by Kimi Raikkonen in 12th. Sebastian Vettel, he had another disappointing race in 13th ahead of George Russell. Antonio Giovinazzi was 15th ahead of Nicolas Latifi. Nando Alonso fell down to 17th towards the finish. Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin ran out the finishes. Yuki Tsunoda was the only driver to not finish due to electrical issues that forced him to stop out on the circuit at turn 10 and bringing out a safety car as the result of it. The fastest at that point went to Max Verstappen as well, a 118.1, which sees him getting that point as well, which could come crucial later in the year, given how many fastest lap points are on offer over the course of 2021. Nathan, it's an important championship now with, you know, Lewis Hamilton winning and, you know, Verstappen finishing the top two. No other driver has finished in the top two other than those two. It just confirms how tight of a, uh, you know, championship battle we're going to have this year. Yeah, definitely. They've they've both really hit the ground running. You know, I think this is Hamilton's best start to a season in in lots of seasons, and certainly Max's best start to a year in his short F1 career so far. So yeah, they're both really getting the best out of each other. And in in the opening f- uh, four races, we've seen them go wheel to wheel in each of the events so far. So it's really starting to hot up now. These next few races will be absolutely crucial. Go into Monaco in a couple of weeks, and then and then we'll see where where it takes us after that. You know, uh, but I think it's worth saying that Spain has traditionally been a good track for Mercedes. So the fact that Red Bull was so close this weekend will hopefully bode well for them going into the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. And Hannah, it's been a it has been an, an incredible race actually to watch, and you know, the top four finishing the same positions on as they were on the grid. But we saw quite a lot of overtaking there, and looking further down the order, you know. Dan Ricardo picking up his brilliant finish um, for McLaren. If one's finished ahead of Lando Norris, is that a sign that Daniel is getting the, um, you know, he's acclimatising to the McLaren very, very well now, like he did so in the Renault? I would say it's certainly showing signs that he's starting to acclimatise to McLaren. I think it was in his post-race interview with Sky Sports, he was saying it's finding those niggly little bits, finding those edges, finding the ability to push the car for the maximum. I don't think he's fully there yet. I don't think we'll probably see Daniel's true potential in that McLaren until probably about halfway through the season and maybe on a track maybe better suited to them and to the car. But overall, I would say it's definitely promising the fact that a lot of people thought that the McLarens weren't going to be sixth. They were going to be more like eighth or ninth, maybe, maybe seventh possibly. But the fact that Dan was able to hold back Sergio Perez for so long and keep up pace, keep Carlos Sainz at bay. I think the thing that did prove to be crucial was Lando Norris moving out of the way for Daniel when he was on the alternative strategy, even though, as I said, was how he did it probably wasn't the best. Overall, that proved to be crucial, and I think it demonstrates the fact that McLaren very much are putting both drivers, it'll be whoever's at front in the front at that time, they'll do the strategy to suit them and kind of boost in their interest rather than having that number one driver, number two driver. But I'm excited to see how Daniel progresses the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. Well, it was an interesting weekend for um, for some drivers. Um, Yuki Tsunoda, because he was called into question over in the comments he made in the media post-qualifying on Saturday. He was knocked out in Q1, and he sort of raised something about to do with the feedback that he was getting that was the opposite to Gazi, which, for me... It was the wrong thing to say. And 
you know, it was a weekend to forget, you know, given how his race had gone. But this is not the kind of thing you want to be hearing from a driver in the media. No, definitely not, especially as a mechanic or anyone in the team when you've worked endless nights and, and as many hours as the mechanics work, which, as we know, is a lot and a lot of hours only for your driver, this person in the media who's supposed to be boosting your morale and keeping you upbeat and happy, turns around and says, I can't remember the exact wording he used, but something to describe the car. And the mechanics put so much effort into that car. So to hear almost their baby being degraded like that it's really not going to help but at the end of the day Yuki's only in his fourth race he's 20 years old so these brash comments are going to be around we've seen with Max Verstappen he started his career at the age of 17 and it took such a long time almost I think three or four years in his career really to iron out the brash and hot-headed nature that he promoted himself to have at Toro Rosso and in his early years at Red Bull and even still to this day so realistically, obviously, it's completely unacceptable what Yuki said in terms of keeping his team upbeat. And obviously, he did apologise for that. It's not like he turned around and, and never apologised for it. He knew he made a mistake and he's going to learn from this. In terms of his race, in, in all honesty, I think it just shows that Honda do have some reliability issues that they need to stamp out, especially if they start popping up with Red Bull, possibly. We saw Sergio Perez have almost the same issue where his car just shut off in Bahrain. So Mercedes, which have looked almost almost bulletproof since pre-season testing, all the issues that they had in the early stages of, of testing, Honda need to make sure that they don't throw this championship away. And also Red Bull need to make sure that they don't throw this championship away. There needs to be more work in, on the package. You know, what does it mean then for Snowder, Hannah? I mean, I'd like to think it'll all be swept under the carpet by the time Formula 1 does get to Monaco, a track which Yuki doesn't know very well. I mean, there's a couple of tracks that he's coming up anyway that she's never raced on before. So he's just got to try and suck it off, forget about what's happened and, you know, try and achieve what he can with the tools that he's got. Yeah, I feel like, especially with the races coming up, that he's not raced that before. Yuki just kind of needs to keep a bit of a low profile. I think overall is he needs to very much show what he's made of on the track. I do think he, I get where a lot of the criticism of what he said came from, but I do also think, to be honest, a lot of other drivers on that grid have said worse much further into their careers and don't get the same level of flack. I would say to you, he is, it is his fourth race, he's 20 years old. It's to give the guy a bit of a break. I also think a lot of people don't factor in that sometimes we consider and judge because for example my first language is English sometimes things don't always come across the way you intend and over I would say to him going forward is just to keep that level of low profile work I think he still needs to ingrain himself within the team obviously with it being his fourth race he's still so new to the sport he needs to work on ingraining himself within the mechanics of the team and looking at ways to develop the car if you have an issue with the car you can complain about it all you want, but what makes the difference is finding a way to fix it. Like, for example, I think Mick Schumacher's doing quite well at Haas. Even though the car's not great, when those issues come up, he's finding ways around them. So I would say to you, Keith, it's just focus on maximising the potential of the car you've got heading into those weekends because there's going to be probably a lot of pressure and scrutiny on him next time out. Yeah, and it's, it's a long year ahead. And, you know, whilst it may feel like a tough time for Yuki at the moment, let's be honest, the last three races for Yuki Tsunoda has not 
particular being great. I mean, remember crashing out in Q1, and he got he did get up quite high in the field um, at Imola, but he he had that spin which cost him any chance of points. Portimao, well off the pace on a circuit he's never raced up before. Um, Barcelona, I don't know where the pace went for him. I really, really don't. It's just Gasly was by far the better driver that weekend, and I don't know if it's to do with experience, but you just got to hope better luck next time out in Monaco. And if there was anything, any advice I would give to Snowdo, it's to improve his qualifying. Because qualifying in Monaco is one of the, um, is probably the, you know, qualifies basically the race in Monaco. Because we're not going to see really any overtaking in Monaco, as far as I know. Let's have a look at the Drivers' Championship then, following the fourth race out of 23 in the 2021 FIA Formula 1 World Championship. Lewis Hamilton has extended his lead over Max Verstappen to 14 points, 94, play, uh, 94 points playing 80. Valtteri Bottas moving up to third now in the championship. He's got 47 points. Lando Norris down to fourth on 41. Charles Leclerc is in fifth for Ferrari on 40. He's got two fourth places and two sixth places. So just to correct myself from, from earlier, I was probably getting mixed up with his grid positions um, for Ferrari this year. Sergio Perez is in sixth place on 32. Then it's Dan Ricciardo in seventh on 24. Carl Sainz in eighth on 20. Esteban Nocon in 9th with 10, Pierre Gasly in 10th with 8, Lance Stroll in 11th with 5, Fernando Alonso in 12th also on 5, Yuki Snowden in 13th with 2 points, Kimi Raikkonen, Antonio Giovinazzi, Sebastian Vettel, George Russell, Mick Schumacher, Nicholas Latifi and Nikita Maspin have still yet to get off the mark. In the Constructors' Championship, Mercedes continues to pull away from Red Bull, 29 points is the gap between those, uh, between those two teams, 141 points playing 112, McLaren their deficit over Ferrari has slashed slightly down to five points. 65 points they got to Ferrari's 60. Alpine are in fifth with 15. Then it's AlphaTauri in sixth with 10. Aston Martin in seventh with five. Then it's Alfa Romeo, Williams and Haas who have yet to score a point in 2021. So, you know, whilst Mercedes may be pulling away from Red Bull a little bit, it's very much hotting up in the battle for third between the old foes of Ferrari and McLaren. Nathan, this is all pretty much bringing back memories of, you know, when Fernando Alonso was a Ferrari driver, Lewis Hamilton was a McLaren driver and Ferrari and McLaren were tussling against each other. Now they're battling over third place in the constructors, but it just seems more like a harmonious cycle rival, uh, harmonious rivalry between those two teams than it used to be. Yeah, it's very, very good. It's very nice to, to see both of the teams just starting to get back towards the front of the order and showing their, their true pace and, and true potential after what was for Ferrari a very very disappointing season last year you know they're starting to rebuild a bit now and uh, in particular Charles Leclerc has had a really strong start to the season and Carlos Sainz is starting to embed himself into the team a, a decent home race perhaps a little bit behind uh, Charles the entire weekend but as he starts to gain confidence throughout the season hopefully he can start to match Charles and, and they can really start to pull the team forward and the same can be said of McLaren with Lando Norris having a, a fantastic start to his 2021 campaign and you're starting to see signs uh, of Daniel Ricciardo getting to grips with that car but I think it's going to be very much to do with who has the consistency over the course of the season mm -hmm. it's going to be very tight between the two outfits uh, all the way to Abu Dhabi I think yeah well, it's going to be a long battle between Ferrari and McLaren this year. And it seems as though we have this sort of top 14 sort of battle where we know who is going to potentially be in the top eight positions in the race. 
it's just whether the likes of Alpine, AlphaTauri, Aston Martin and Alfa Romeo, possibly Williams, they're getting the remaining lower points. And I think that's their problem, that they're not close enough to Ferrari and McLaren and others. Well, certainly, I think if you look at the development as well, McLaren and Ferrari have spent a lot of money and a lot of their tokens developing their cars. Obviously, AlphaTauri, when they came out of the books in Bahrain, they looked so promising. But unfortunately, it's a mixture of bad luck and the fact that Ferrari and McLaren are just outpacing them. This is a story which has been going on since Formula One's history. I think McLaren making their debut in Formula One in, 1960, in, the, in the 1960s and Ferrari were already, already this established force. And it's almost this continuing story of the British privateer team, obviously not so much privateers anymore, versus this mechanical giant of Ferrari. So it's good to see that story come back, but I'd also like to see the likes of Alpine, Alpha Tauri, Alfa Romeo. Obviously, Williams and Haas are still rebuilding from the past few seasons that they've had. But even still, I'd like to see all of these teams be battling for those the, the top of those points, but that's just not going to happen. We need... I don't... I think need is the wrong word. There is always a hierarchy in Formula One. And whereas the last few seasons it's been the top three, I think now, although there's still a, a massive difference between those teams, there is a top four rather than a top three showing it is starting to close up a bit. Yeah, and particularly McLaren continuing their recovery from a very tough time uh, in the last decade or so. Um, but they've seen to have come all the way back and um, achieve a good run of form. Can that first victory come this year? We'll have to wait and see. Hannah, what are you looking at now in the championship? What Can you really see any teams improving from here? And we've seen that Alpine have improved in the last couple of races with their pace. But what about the others? Is, do you really see any of those teams making recovery? Because there's still a long way to go yet. I can see some of them making or covering kind of more of a push forward. I would say Alpine have looked stronger definitely this time out than they did earlier the very first race in Bahrain. I'm a little bit disappointed in them though, to be honest, them and Aston Martin, because obviously last year it was kind of a four-way battle for third, whereas this year it's clearly either McLaren or Ferrari. I can't see any of the other teams pushing forward. I would say Alpha Tauri, if Yuki Tsunoda can kind of get more confidence in the car, I could see them rival um, rivaling Alpine. I would say... Aston Martin have a lot of work to do. I feel like they, to be honest, are probably my biggest disappointment so far of the season. I think it's frustrating. I don't think it's so... I know a lot of people out there probably go, oh, it's Vettel. He's not blending into the car as well as, say, Carlos Sainz is doing at Ferrari or Daniel Cardo is doing at McLaren. But honestly, the Aston Martin isn't where it, I expected it to be or where it should be. I said they've got a lot of improvement to do. But the one exciting prospect I do have is Williams because we've seen how close Mr. Saturday George Russell has come to getting into Q3 a couple of times. And he's very much, for example, I think a lot of people thought he might have got points in Spain. He was very close to it at one point and then obviously the strategy didn't work. But the fact that Williams tried something new, the fact that they boxed under the safety car, tried a different strategy, it was exciting to see that they were being inventive and being creative and not just going, oh, we'll just do the same, same old strategy, do what everyone else is doing. No, actually, we'll mix up and try and move ourselves forward. I think Monaco provide a perfect opportunity for them because with the margins being so tight, if George can get a strong lap in, 
predominantly, I think it will be George rather than Nicholas Latifi. If he can get a strong lap in, he could put them up to closer towards the top 10 because the power deficit isn't as much of an issue compared and the performance deficit compared to other tracks. So I would say Williams are the exciting prospect. And I think maybe they could go for night uh, for eight. I would say if they get a level of strong, consistent performances in, I reckon they could jump Alpha Romeo, possibly catch Aston Martin, but it depends how much Aston Martin improve and whether Williams will bother to spend uh, spending any development tokens for this year, considering it's pretty much a bit of a write-off. And so, yeah, I mean, George Russell came very, very close to getting to Q3. I thought at one point he may just sneak inside the top 10 at the end of the race until, uh, well, drivers who were on better tyres uh, ready to get, get by him. But nevertheless, it was a, still an effort there from George Russell to get as high up in the field as he did, um, whilst Nicholas Satifi was, you know, towards the back. Uh, but he did get ahead of Fernando Alonso um, as the Spaniard pitted for a late change of, um, of tyres. I want to go on some news now, guys. Uh, let's start with Lewis Hamilton, because he's eyeing a new Mercedes deal before the F1 summer break. Hamilton's contract talks through 2020 were put on hold amid the impact of the pandemic and the subsequent compacted nature of the delayed season. The respective parties agreed to push back discussions until he clinched a seventh world title and then postponed further as both Hamilton and Mercedes team boss Toto Wolff contracted COVID-19. It was finally confirmed in February that Hamilton had signed a one-year deal to keep him at Mercedes for 2021. Hamilton has intimated through the early steps of 2021 that he wants to remain in Formula One beyond the end of the current campaign. Speaking after taking victory at the Spanish Grand Prix on Sunday, Hamilton said, Yeah, we never want to be in the position that we were in in January, in February. It ruined my whole winter and I'm sure it wasn't helpful for Toto's. In terms of being out to be off and relaxed, so it felt like we didn't really have much of a break. Hamilton nevertheless outlined that while keen to resolve contractual matters in the next few months, they must not distract him from his title fight against Max Verstappen. Naturally, we don't have to rush anything, but I think we have to be sensible and start conversations, he said. They're very complex. It's never a super simple procedure. And so hopefully soon we can start as long as it doesn't interfere the actual job. We still have 19 races to do, but it would be great to get something in place before the break. So then we could, again, be in that break and have a clear picture of the future. Well, this was something that was going on during the winter, guys. When was Hamilton going to sign this new contract that has turned out to be back in February? Hannah, we begin with you on this. And it, is the summer break the best time for Hamilton to get the, uh, the contract sorted for next year? I would say so. I think as a driver, you do not want to enter that second half of the season with any level of uncertainty. Things are also a bit different for Hamilton compared to, say, I don't know, guys in the back market teams, because ultimately, I think if Hamilton says jump, Mercedes will ask how high, ultimately, they'll want to keep him. And I think overall, I would say some break is the ideal opportunity because it means it's secure especially as it's likely that his battle with the staff will be a slog throughout the whole season. He won't want that playing on his mind. Last year, to be honest, he could afford to have it playing out into the winter because the back end of the season, only Hamilton was going to win. There was no real competition for him. I think it does kind of bring up an interesting factor, though, of Prusas, he'd signed a one-year deal for this season. 
is how much I think the battle with Max Verstappen has kind of maybe rejuvenated his love of F1. Like, obviously, he's reached his 100th pole. He's likely to reach his 100th win before the season's out. And I wonder whether the fact that he didn't, have, I don't want to say not any real competition, but to be honest, Valtteri didn't provide much competition in the past couple of years, whether that kind of monotony got to him and maybe took some of the love out of the sport, whereas now, heading into the regulation changes, I thought he would retire before they started, but I now think he'll want to stay. He'll want to see how competitive Mercedes are, and he'll want to be fighting at the front and having that kind of sloggy battle that fans love, I don't think. Now, I think now is kind of the opportunity where he's gone, actually, no, I want to stick around for a lot longer and break as many records as I can. So it's exciting to see. I do think there will play an interesting factor, though, into Valtteri Bottas's position and the future of George Russell, because we don't know how much influence Hamilton will have over that second seat. So it could prove to have repercussions up and down the grid. This is the thing, Nathan, because if Hamilton wasn't to be at Mercedes next year, he probably will be, how will that affect the team? Because there's no way that they'll want to let Bottas go if Lewis decides to go. Because... If, you know, let's say Mercedes won the title this year, which would be eight years on the trot, winning the drivers and the constructors, they're not going to bring in a completely brand new lineup in the next season. I'm afraid that's just not possible. Yeah, I agree. But then where, where does that put George? Because is Bottas a team leader? I'm not quite sure that he is. So they, they, they probably wouldn't want to bring in a new lineup. And but who 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 would they go to? Would they try and poach Verstappen? Possibly, Charles Leclerc. Possibly, but I, I I doubt either of those drivers would want to leave their respective teams at this stage. So if Hamilton did go, it would create a big difficulty for Mercedes for for next year. You know, um, it's unlikely that that's going to happen at this stage. And ultimately, I think. Uh, George Russell will be the big loser out of Hamilton staying in Formula One. Possibly an Aston Martin deal for 2022 will be on the cost. But I think as a result of these negotiations and the way it's playing out, it will probably mean that Russell won't be in Mercedes next year, which is all, all part and parcel of the politics of Formula One and the way it's worked out, um, which unfortunately for, for George is is the reality at the moment. Yeah. Well, do you feel that Hamilton is going to sign this new deal and how long will it be of a deal? Because if, if he's only signed one for this year, does that give the indication it's just going to be the one year of the next? Hamilton is a strange one, in my opinion, because realistically, he's got all of these other commitments. He's got his fashion brand. He's got his music career that he wants to properly start up. He's got the environmental stuff, which he wants to keep on pushing. So on one hand, my thought is he'll probably sign a two or three year contract to have some stability and, and try and go for oh, 11, 10 world championships possibly. And then on the other hand, part of me thinks he'll sign a one year deal and whatever happens that season will define whether he signs another deal and another deal. And whether Mercedes would want that, they probably want a bit more stability. In regards to the Bottas and Russell situation, with the way that Bottas is performing currently, and that sign of rebellion, I want to say, in Spain, where the team told him, obviously they didn't distinctly tell him, but we all knew that they told Valtteri to get out of Hamilton's way when he was charging after Verstappen in that second stint. 
Bottas stayed in front, and although we absolutely love the drama, Mercedes aren't going to want aren't going to want that. And if that costs Hamilton a win this season, possibly even a championship, I genuinely believe that right now the way that Bottas is performing is not enough for him to stay at Mercedes. So I think Hamilton will stay another year, most likely to sign in the summer break, possibly a two year contract, and Russell will be alongside him, or almost that mentor uh, apprentice relationship. And I'm sure a lot of people would love a Lewis Hamilton, George Russell um, lineup at Mercedes. And where does that leave Bottas in, in regards to um, to the grid? Only time will tell as the season goes on. So will Lewis Hamilton sign a new deal? And if so, how long will it be? And how much longer is he prepared to stay in Formula 1? Do let us know in the comments section below, guys, as we are interested in getting your views on this. So... Moving on to other news, let's go on to Monaco because it's been given the green light to, host, to have 7,500 spectators for its Formula One event. Monaco's government has approved a limited capacity for this month's Formula One round in the Principality. Formula One's Monaco Grand Prix did not take place in 2020 due to the pandemic, marking the first time in 65 years that the event was not held. Constru uh, construction of the temporary facility was completed in time for last month's historic Grand Prix, while this weekend's Monaco Streets played host to the Formula E race. 6,500 spectators were permitted access to the Formula E round, while those watching from balconies must, must stand apart from each other, and boat capacity was restricted to 12 per vessel. For the Formula 1 event, which is scheduled from May the 20th through to 23rd, a grand set capacity of 7,500 people per day, approximately 40% capacity, has been approved. Around 3,000 spectators will be allowed for Friday, when only support categories run, owing to the unique two, uh, timetable in which Formula 1 practice takes place on Thursday. Spectators will be permitted to travel into Monaco from external territories, but must provide a negative PCR test taken within the preceding 72 hours. The last two Formula 1 events prior to Spain in Italy and Portugal took place without spectators. The Monday of last week, organisers had the Spanish Grand Prix revealing a thousand spectators, which did um, happen on Sunday as well. So good news, guys. This is probably the biggest turnout we're going to see of a Formula 1 event since the Portuguese Grand Prix last year. We had about 20 or so thousand. Nathan, your views on this and it's good to see fans in Monaco because I think had we had no fans for the Monaco Grand Prix it would have been a massive disappointment yeah definitely you know Monaco you want to get that atmosphere and the glitz and the glamour of, of the principality and having the fans there will will help to make make it a bit more special you know of course it, it's not the full capacity crowd that we're used to with people looking over the hill and the boats in the harbour but you know, it, we are, we're, we're getting there, you know, we're starting to get back to a more normal situation. And it's fantastic that, that the fans will, will be out in force, you know, supporting their local driver, Charles Leclerc, no doubt, and cheering on the, the fight at the front, uh, which will uh, no doubt be between Verstappen and Hamilton once more. So, yeah, very much looking forward to it. And hopefully we have a, have a great atmospheric weekend uh, in Monaco. Yes. Will, excited to see fans in Monaco. I mean, we saw the Formula E event at the weekend, which Hannah, of course, was reporting for Motorsport Week. It was it was quite a, an amazing one. And please, 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 can we have a good Formula 1 race for once? Because I think that's something which Monaco has been struggling over the years to provide the action which should resemble what Formula 1 is about. 
And they've got to live up to something with the Formula E race that happened uh, the other day because that really was a really good Grand Prix around Monaco, one of the best I've seen in quite a few years. Um, it's great to see spectators back, uh, especially in this number. Obviously, unfortunately, for those of us who own yachts, you're only allowed 12 people on one. So it's a bit of a shame, but even still, I think realistically, Monaco is a circuit which is defined by the fans with the often lack of action that we see around the circuit. It's something which is it, it elevates the atmosphere and, and the cheers that we hear echoing through the streets of Monaco for the likes of Charles Leclerc the hometown hero, it, it's going to be something special to see, especially with, fingers crossed, possibly a close fight between Red Bull and Mercedes if they're this close. Obviously, the track tends to favour Red Bull, but Mercedes have been dominating the circuit for quite a few years other than 2018 and 2016, realistically. And Hannah, you had to sort of switch between the qualifying that was slightly delayed um, in order to watch the, the Formula E race as well. And going on to Formula 1 for Monaco, it's good to have spectators there and I'm sure the fans over in Monaco at the weekend will have relished something spectacular for once. I think with Monaco the fans were needed more than anywhere else on the calendar for me. I like Monaco, it's also the jewel in the crown of motorsport but overall the on-track action can be pretty dull. If you look say back a couple of years ago like with when Daniel Cardo lost leave he didn't lose it because it was on track, lost it through a pit stop a lot of the times with Monaco, unless there's a major crash, it's not that exciting. Whereas the fans give it that level of atmosphere. It'll be strange because obviously we won't be seeing probably the Amblange um, catwalk and the fashion show and all the parties that they normally have and things like that, which will probably make it feel still a little bit odd and still a little bit like a ghost town. But overall, with Monaco, it just needs that fan level of engagement there and that glitz and glamour that makes it such a spectacular event it's not the on-track action that to be honest makes it exciting it's the spectacle of Monaco Monaco is the race that even those drivers that for example like Charles Leclerc lives there he wants to win his home race but pretty much every driver on that grid wants to win in Monaco because it's Monaco and I think overall they are going to have to be honest a mountain decline to match that Formula E race the weekend and to be honest I don't think they will match it Formula E, I think, very much has shown Formula One up at Monaco is the cars are much better suited to the track because they're smaller. The Formula One cars at the moment are too big for Monaco. They either need to start slimming those cars back down again or, to be honest, accept the fact that you're not going to have a lot of overtakes and also exemplify the fact that, especially in previous years at Monaco, there's not been a massive fight out front. It's always been one or two drivers I think this year will be more interesting given the Hamilton Verstappen battle the likelihood of Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz for Ferrari and Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo for McLaren being at the front and possibly fighting I reckon we could see a maybe an unsuspected or a surprising podium finisher and overall I think that's going to be the element that Formula One needs is it needs more close fighting at Monaco and not just a processional arrangement. So I'm excited to see it. I think fans are a welcome addition back, but I think Formula One needs to hope that it has an exciting race in Monaco, because otherwise it might look a bit silly. Yeah, and I, for one, just do not want to have a race in Monaco where the cars are just circulating around and nothing's happening. You know, you can have 20 cars just circulating all the way through, but not, well, in, like, close company, but not 
actually doing any overtaking and that's not what Formula One should be about. Yes, every race is different. It has its own characteristics. But are you going there for the glamour? Or are you going there because you want to win and you want to win in a very competitive manner? I think that's the, that's the balance that Formula One needs to look at. Yes, Monaco says some great races over the years. I can agree with it. But today's cars, which I'm talking about, so forget history. History's got nothing to do with it. If the racing isn't there with the cars that we have, I don't feel that Formula One should... I don't feel that Formula One should be sort of hyped up for Monaco as much as people are making it out to be. Because the Monaco Grand Prix for Formula One isn't as good as it used to be. The cars are too big for it. And, and I made this um, poll the other day whether Formula One should consider moving away from Monaco and allow Formula E to race there every year instead. And 60% of them on my Instagram post said no. You know, they think Formula One should remain in Monaco. Having said that, when I posted the same poll on Twitter, 64% of them said yes. So there's, there's very much a, you know, it's pretty much 50-50, I would say. There's a lot of people maybe on the fence as well, but that's something Formula One should maybe need to look at. I mean, if it's a potential money sphere. We all know it, but we've got the likes of Jeddah and Miami coming in the next 12 months or so. And how many more money spinners does Formula One need? We've got a financial thing, which um, we'll, we'll talk about in a moment. But, you know, fill me in on this, um, Hannah, because is there enough money spinners in Formula One with what we've got? I would say it's getting to the point, yes. I think you've got a lot of tracks very much on that calendar now that even there because they'll generate a lot of revenue. Like we know Miami is going to be, to be honest, a spectacle even beyond Monaco. It's going to be very much formal and kind of bringing itself into the celebrity aspect of society. I think my biggest issue is you obviously have a lot of tracks there that are on the calendar because they paid to be there. For example, look at Sochi. Sochi isn't there because it's a good track there because the Russian government paid to have it there. And I think it's the frustrating thing looking at Formula One going forward is they don't seem to be able to strike the right balance between historic and prestigious tracks and bringing those new and exciting ones in. I think it needs to toe a very careful line going forward because I'm genuinely worried if you say, for example, Suzuka's obviously had its um, agreement extended to host race, I think it's until 2025, a couple more years anyway. And so Suzuki's on the calendar, there were risks looking back a couple of years ago that Silverstone was going to be off the calendar. And Formula One doesn't seem to necessarily protect the tracks that are most interesting. They look at tracks that'll pay a lot. I think Monaco, I'd like Monaco to stay because it is a glitz and glamorous track. It is also that element of a historical track is it provided such exciting racing through especially the 70s, 80s and 90s. It's just these days, the cars are too big. And I think Formula One, when it makes its kind of plans for the technical regulations and things like that i don't think it factors in the tracks that they actually go to i think they go we'll make the cars bigger we'll give them change the downforce but we won't actually factor in the implications of the tracks they go to and it proves that formula one needs a long-term strategy for where it will race and not just a season by season change of circumstances and mm -hmm. um, well would you agree with everything that hannah says there because Formula One does need to have its celebrity aspect. 
it's what it is you know it's one of the biggest stages in the world you know for every country that's hosting a race um in formula one you know whether it's one of the historical circuits like monaco monza spa the glitz and glamour like monaco or abu dhabi or even austin or montreal um you know if there needs to be a balance isn't there and i think we've got 23 races monaco is going to be the one which is going to be probably one that's not defined for overtaking it's notoriously difficult to overtake in monaco formula one will never have enough money making circuits in their opinion they're in it for money they're not in it to to promote amazing racing they are there to make a profit that is the entire nature of formula one it was the entire concept of motor racing was so rich boys in the nine in the 1890s could have a spin around in the latest motor car so when you look at it from that angle monaco will always be on the circuit that's where the sponsors pay to be they don't pay to be seen at uh barcelona turn 14 they pay to be seen next to the yachts in monaco that's where the big big money comes from and that's where people look at your company and think oh you're in the big leagues if you're in monaco you take a look at in the past lotus always sponsored by either a new film or the pharrell i think pharrell williams sponsored them in 2015 if i remember correctly with his new album either way we take a look at that but we also need to remember that formula one is a racing organization and needs to be grand prix racing not grand prix driving it's about the wheel-to-wheel action it's about the fastest cars the fastest drivers going side by side with each other and overtaking that is what people pay to watch and like hannah just said with formula e the cars are smaller the cars are lighter they can race a lot easier and with these new technical regulations that are coming in I've always been a person who said, I'm not going to judge any of the circuits on this year's calendar until the new cars come in. Then we can see which ones need to be put on the chopping block. But even if I were to say Monaco needs to be put on the chopping block, it's not going to be removed because, like has been said, it's where the money comes from. It's where all the, the big celebrities and stars, Daniel Ricciardo playing football with Tom Brady, I think, when the two were throwing a ball back in between each other on a yacht, that's why Formula One goes to Monaco. Another examples of um, promotions of which um, teams have done, I think Jaguar did in 2004 for Ocean 12. Because if you remember, Nathan, they had a diamond fitted on the front wing. Well, guess what? You know when Christian Cleon crashed out at the Lowe's Hairpin? They were never able to find that diamond again after it was fitted on that front wing when it was damaged. And for 2005, Red Bull were sponsored by, well, they were promoting the new Star Wars um, film, I think that was coming out that year. And in 2006, it was Superman, <laughs> which some of you may remember Christian Horner's uh, dipping into the pool in the um, Superman cake whilst he was naked. Um, because uh, he made a promise that um, if a Red Bull driver finished on the podium, he would jump into the swimming pool with a Superman cape on naked. Well, guess what? That's what he did. And because David Coulthard finished on the podium that day. But um, but yeah, is that what Monaco is all about, though? Is it the racing or is it the promotion side of things? Or is it a bit of the both? Well, ultimately, we, we, we go to Monte Carlo because that's where the big books is. You know, there are three uh, established, most classic uh, races in the world. The Indy 500, Le Mans 24 Hours and the Monaco Grand Prix. And they will always, always remain, in my view. Or at least they should do, you know. And if these these current cars 
are not suitable to race in Monaco, then perhaps the technical regs should be adapted accordingly. But we, we, we need Monaco. Of course, people will say that we need to adapt based on the current cars, based on the current circumstances of Formula One, but Monaco should, should always survive. Of course, it brings in the big bucks, but it brings in the big bucks for a reason and has always had a place in Formula One. And yeah, always should do. Of course, there are other venues that perhaps don't have the same history, don't have the same heritage in Formula One that should be considered whether uh, they deserve their place on the calendar to ensure we get the balance between the classic tracks that provide great racing um, for, for our sport and those that bring in the money. But at the end of the day, the Monaco Grand Prix is one of the most historic. It, it brings in a lot of money and should and always will remain a part of Formula One. Do let us know what you make of the Monaco Grand Prix. Should it stay on the Formula One calendar or should Formula One think about going somewhere else that's going to, one, bring in the celebrities, bring on the glitz and glamour and actually provide the race and it's after? Let us know. On to, next, on to the next story I'm going to talk about. It's F1 posting its improved financial results as its recovery continues. Formula One has reported significantly improved financial results for the first quarter of 2021, that is from January to March, compared to the same period last year when its income was seriously impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. Total revenue rose from $39 million to $180 for the three-month period, while primary revenue was up 835% to $159 million, from just $17 million in 2020. This is, however, down on 2019's Q1 figure, uh, figure of $198 million, a sign that Formula 1's recovery is very much an ongoing process. The increase in revenue drove down operating losses to $33 million this year compared to $137 million in 2020. Last year saw no races take place in the opening quarter, whereas one race took place this year as the season kicked off in late March in Bahrain, following the postponement of the Australian Grand Prix, which had been set to open the season. As a result of the improved finances and the return to action, teams shared $44 million in payments from Liberty Media, whereas last year they received no income for the January to March period. Comparing the 2021 and 2020 figures has been skewed slightly by the reclassification of some revenue streams from other to primary. During the three months ended March 31st, 2021, F1 began classifying certain components previously reported in other F1 revenue into primary F1 revenue to better align with the way it currently evaluates the business, it stated in its financial report. The more significant components that were reclassified into primary F1 re uh, revenue include fees for F1 TV subscriptions, fees for licensing commercial rights for Formula 2 and Formula 3 races, fees for the origination and support of programme footage, fees for broadcast, uh, broadcast rights for Formula 2 and Formula 3 races, and fees for advertising rights on Formula 1's digital platforms. Following the reclassification, other F1 revenue is primarily comprised of freight and hospitality revenue. F1 also received a one-off payment for the cancellation of the Vietnam Grand Prix, which was supposed to debut on the calendar last year, but was cancelled because of the pandemic and now looks unlikely to ever return. So, there was quite a lot I've gone through there, guys, but um, I mean, keen to get your thoughts on this one, because, you know, obviously... COVID-19 obviously had hit 
the formal world a lot you know with, with it being such a very very rich sport it's one of the sort of fewer kind of businesses which has been able to keep reasonably afloat um for the future nathan we begin with you on this what's your thoughts on the the rise in revenue yeah i, th I think you would expect given the return to racing and the fact that the all, all the team's operations has uh, have restarted for a few months now that the revenue of Formula One would start to pick up again. Of, co of course, last year, last uh, March, it was very, very difficult for Formula One uh, in the same uh, as it was throughout the world. But as we got racing uh, by midsummer, July, uh, then the revenue started to pick up again. So I, th I think it's, it's what you'd expect for, for one of the richest sports in the world to uh, establish a substantial revenue, especially with the events that we're going to this year. Um, yeah, so uh, overall positive and I'm sure uh, there'll, there'll be more, more than fun coming out of this. Yeah, I'd like to think that in three months time, Will, we'll see a lot more revenue given that we've had more races um, during the period of April to June and we did so from January to March. It's good news for Formula One and it can only mean good news for the likes of the money spinners and the races which are currently on the F1 calendar. And what does this mean for the sport? It, not just, you know, this year and next, but for the next 10 to 20 years. It shows that Formula One's back in business, realistically. COVID hit it very hard last year. It's the globetrotting sport. And unfortunately, they couldn't do any globetrotting last year. They weren't going to have 15 races around Silverstone because that would have just eventually got pretty boring with the same result. So it's good to see that F1's back. Like you said, I think, did you say 39 to 180 million in that range? Um, 39, yes, that's correct. Yeah. So the total revenue rose from 39 million to 180 million for the three month period, while the primary revenue was up 835 percent to 159 million from just 17 million in 2020. That's fantastic news for Formula One. And it's really good to hear that they have had that's so much of a boost. That's 140 million profit compared to last year it, the difference is really good to see and considering there's only one race this year it also just shows the interest in formula one that championship fight between hamilton and Verstappen really has invigorated the fan base and i think people who gave up on f1 in the years where hamilton was just sweeping up compared to Sebastian vettel and valtteri bottas it shows that they are coming back in possibly small or large numbers but as people continue to move back into Formula One, they will bring more people with them, boosting the profit and boosting the racing. And that's just a positive feedback loop. It keeps on going and going until the sport is back at its peak. Mm -hmm. Hannah, I don't know how much of a, an accountant you are or how much you are into accountancy, but this is this is great news for Formula One. And with the or with all the races we've got this year, and we've got 23 races along with all the, what I call the money spinners, um, including Monaco, it's, it's still fantastic news to see Formula 1 on the up again because had the season been delayed more and more and more last year to the point which it couldn't go ahead at all, goodness knows where we would be at this stage. Yeah, I feel like if the season hadn't gone ahead last year or had been delayed further, I would have had genuine concerns about the future stability of several of those teams on the grid, especially, for example, Haas. I think the pandemic... And what happened with the financial situation has highlighted, A, why the budget cap was needed. Ultimately, the budget cap would come at the ideal time. And the fact that all the teams agreed to reduce it further means that 
I don't think in the next 20 years this will be the only time something like this happens. I think it's going to be something that to some degree could happen again. Formula One needed a long-term strategy to manage its finances. I also thought it was interesting the fact that obviously Formula Two and Formula Three classification moved over into primary, highlighting the fact that I think Formula One is now taking those two championships a lot more seriously. They've both got growing fan bases from the community and it's nice to see that move over. And then the thing that interests me actually going most going forward is how things around the subscriptions will be impacted and things like that, because obviously we'll have the return of fans at several of the tracks, boosting income, brilliant to see. And we've had, during the pandemic, we had a growth in terms of viewership because there were very few sports on. A lot of people, I bought F1 TV, all paid for their local broadcasters to be able to watch F1 and the viewership numbers went up and I think the championship battle between Hamilton and Verstappen is only going to help that and it creates an interesting situation a the future relationship between local broadcasters and like paid TV views and F1's own rights but also how that factors in in terms of keeping those fans there it's one thing to get those fans into F1 it's another thing to keep them there and hopefully with the viewers going up, it'll allow F1 a bit more freedom in terms of their revenue. And then making sure that all of the teams have proper, have stable finances. I think we can't have a situation where you have a couple of teams, for example, the fact that McLaren have obviously had to sell off the MTC and rent it back. I feel like those kind of situations, teams need a more stable financial structure. And at least now, with what's happened in the pandemic, it's highlighted the fact that Formula One need, it also does need those money spinner tracks. I think it'd be naive to think that they don't, but they do. And overall, I think it's definitely a positive thing that Formula One is getting its finances back in order, it's generating that profit. I also think there will be an interesting situation comes, for example, with Turkey, what the costs will be of the fact that they might have to have last minute changes. Obviously it's gone from Canada to Turkey, we don't know where it's going to end up next, how much those last minute changes will have an impact. But overall, I think it's a positive time for one, and it'll be interesting to see what kind of lessons and growth they'll take from the past 12 months. And conveniently, you touched on Turkey. That takes us on to our next point with F1 assessing the situation after the UK has added Turkey to its red list. Now, Formula 1 says it's assessing the situation and will provide more details in the coming days after Turkey was added to the United Kingdom's red list. Formula 1 announced last month that Turkey, would, which returned to the pandemic hit schedule in 2020, which would, be, which, so would be taking Canada's place on the 2021 calendar. That came in the wake of Formula 1 being able to receive an exemption to the 14-day quarantine imposed upon travellers by Canada. Formula 1 is due to visit Istanbul Park for the race on June 13th, a week after the Azerbaijan Grand Prix as the seventh round of the season. But on Friday, the UK government added Turkey to its red list, effective from Wednesday, May the 12th. UK citizens returning from countries on the red list are required to quarantine at a government-approved hotel for 10 days. Transport Secretary Grant Shapps stressed that red list countries are those that should not be visited except in extreme circumstances. Seven of the, form of the 10 Formula One teams, along with personnel from Formula One management's broadcast crew and other assorted personnel are based in the UK. 
We are aware of the announcement made by the UK government regarding travel restrictions for Turkey and are assessing the situation and will provide more details in the coming days, read a statement issued by Formula One on Friday evening. Personnel returning to the UK from events in 2021 have had to isolate at home for 10 days with two mandatory tests during that period. Portugal was on the UK's red list during the winter months and plans were drawn up for personnel to remain in Spain to where they were always going to travel beyond the 10 day cutoff or head straight to Monaco in order to avoid hotel quarantine. But such measures were avoided when Portugal was removed from the red list in mid-March. Formula One's 2021 calendar has already undergone changes with Australia's season opener delayed from March to November and China's planned April round indefinitely postponed. Formula One has not raced outside of Europe or the Middle East since the pandemic began in March 2020. The decision to, so the decision to place Turkey on the red list also puts this month's Champions League final into focus, with UK-based Manchester City and Chelsea due to face each other in Istanbul on May the 29th. Now that throws another spanner into the mix, guys. And uh, well, I've seen rumours, and these are just rumours, by the way, this is by no means any speculation, but I've seen something from a source, which I won't name, um, that if Istanbul was to be cancelled, Magello or Hockenheim could possibly host a Grand Prix on the date of June the 13th. Will, your thoughts on this? Uh, well, I was just saying the other day that Turkey was a bit of a uh, birthday surprise for me, and now it's turning into a bit of a nightmare, to be honest. So it's not what anyone wants to see. Uh, certainly what, not what I want to see. I love Turkey as a circuit. I wish it was a full-time Formula One round. But if you take a look at the actual calendar itself, we are set to move from Azerbaijan a week later, we're set to be in Turkey. So I think Formula One could possibly get around it in terms of going straight from Baku to Istanbul. I'm not entirely sure how that would work logistically in terms of whether they'd actually be able to do it in terms of coronavirus guidelines, whether they'd be able to get a possible exemption. But it might just be a, a bullet which Formula One has to take if they do wish to race at Istanbul Park. Like you said, obviously, the rumour that it could be Mugello or uh, Hockenheim, like you said. I doubt Hockenheim would be a possible option. I think more likely possibly the Nürburgring. It was massively popular last year, Formula One. It would be a real shame if they were to waste that opportunity to go back to the Nürburgring. Mugello, it's a Ferrari-owned circuit. Ferrari would be more than happy to lend it out. They don't really need to be paid in order to race around there. I'm sure a little bit of a fee would cover it, but nonetheless... Formula One needs a round, Ferrari can provide that round at the Tuscan Grand Prix again, possibly. So I think Turkey, in my opinion, right now will hopefully be safe. But with the current situation, it's ever-changing and we just really don't know. Nathan, I'm sure you'll be happy for Turkey to be hosting racing. And the question I want to ask is, is Azerbaijan, sorry, is Turkey on Azerbaijan's red list? Because we know it is for the UK, but what about for Azerbaijan? Yeah, I'm not sure about that one, uh, to be honest. Um, but I think it was always going to be tricky for for Turkey to, to host around. You know, when when it was announced, you know, there were reports uh, that there was another uh, COVID lockdown happening in Turkey. So I was quite surprised that Formula One announced uh, that Turkey would be hosting the race at all, to be honest. So I think logistically it will be very tricky, I think, uh, because... Uh, I'm not sure whether Turkey and Azerbaijan are back-to-back -back 
think I think it is. Yeah, so Azerbaijan yeah. on June the sixth, Turkey on June the thirteenth. Okay, so it's uh, Baku first and then Istanbul. Okay, um, I think even in that kind of situation, they they will have to have some sort of logistics back to the UK, and and then uh, have an additional set of uh, parts and, and mechanics then going to. Azerbaijan from the UK. I, I don't think they'll be able to manage it internally from uh, Baku to Istanbul. So it's unlikely uh, that that it will take place and we'll see if they put on another round. Uh, Mugello, pro- probably the most likely option at, at this stage. But even if, worst case scenario, we drop around, we've still got 22 races. So of course, it's a very fluid situation. We, we would like to Turkey to remain on the calendar, but we have to be sensible in, in this situation, and as a result, probably uh, unlikely to take place. Mm-hmm. How do you, if you were to, if, sorry, if I was to ask you, Hannah, what on a scale of one to ten, how likely would you think that Turkey will be hosting the race at its rescheduled date of June the thirteenth? Oh, I hate hate these ones because I'm never too sure. I'm going to go five. I'm going to go in the middle for the simple reason I think there's a multitude of factors. For one, the fact that Canada got cancelled, Turkey got put in place, Formula One, they're not going to want to cancel it. I think they're going to try and do whatever it takes to make it happen. I think the difference with what happened compared with Turkey compared to what happened in Portugal is the short time frame. Formula One had pretty much months of winter to be able to come up with a logistical plan. They have got about a month to come up with an idea, make sure the teams can actually afford it because the logical solution would be for Formula One team to send so many extra parts and personnel from the UK to, well, to either Azerbaijan or to Turkey and make them quarantine in there and then bring them to France and maybe swap part of the team over but overall, that is going to be an absolute nightmare for them. I think, you know, I, I go back and forth and I think overall it probably will happen, but it's certainly not going to be easy. I can't see them going through the logistics of trying to cancel it and trying to rearrange it and things like that. If it doesn't happen on June the 13th, it won't happen at all this season. I think the fact that it is back-to-back with Azerbaijan should help as long as Turkey isn't on Azerbaijan's red list because if Turkey goes on there, then it'll be off. I think that is the only saving grace for it at the moment is the fact that they can travel from Azerbaijan to Turkey without quarantine. And also if they can get back to France, because obviously France is two weeks later, but the likely there's probably a lot of the teams may ha- then have to go straight to France. So overall, I would say I'm unsure as to whether it'll happen. It all just depends on what happens with Azerbaijan's restrictions ultimately. Mm-hmm. Nathan, I'm going to ask you, on a scale of one to ten, is Turkey going to go ahead? I would say unlikely, probably about a, a three or a four. You know, it seems very unlikely. I think, as Hannah's just outlined, the, the scale of the logistical challenge, because then um, after uh, ter- the, the Turkish Grand Prix has then taken place, then two weeks to France, if all team members have to quarantine in a uh, UK government hotel when they get back to the UK, that's going to... Uh, hurt them in terms of time, in terms of development, in terms of even being able to get to the French Grand Prix in time is going to be a complete nightmare. So 
Uh, I, I don't see the Turkish Grand Prix happening, to be honest. Will, your thoughts? What On a scale of 1 to 10, Turkey going ahead? The more I think about it, the more I'm unsure, but I think I'm going to stick to my gut. I think I'm going to say a six. Sort of like Hannah's answer, I don't really want to answer the question, but at the end of the day, you have to. I, I'm a bit more confident that it will go ahead, but there's also that element of uncertainty. 40% of me thinks that F1 won't be going to Turkey, so I think I'll, I'll, I'll stay in the middle. I'll say six. Okay, cool. Right, let's go on to our next story, which we'll cover. It's to do with uh, it's the Wolf Massey message uh, during the Spanish Grand Prix. So Toto Wolf's message to Michael Massey during the Spanish Grand Prix was the first played out over Formula One's world feed broadcast under a new initiative for the, uh, from the championship. Formula One has long aired select radio messages between driver and team and vice versa in a bid to enliven its broadcast during Grand Prix weekends. During Formula One's Spanish Grand Prix, a message was played out from Mercedes boss Toto Wolff to race director Michael Massey, accompanied by a new on-screen graphic. It came as Lewis Hamilton, who had inherited the lead when Max Verstappen made his first stop, was approaching the soon-to-be-lapped Haas of Nikita Mazepin. Michael, blue flags. Michael, this guy makes us lose the position, was the message from Wolf to Massey. Massey explained afterwards that he very rarely hears from Wolf via the race control radio system, but that the playing of the message was part of a new development by Formula One. One of the innovations, the FIA has worked together with F1 and it came together with a discussion of the F1 commission last year is to hear as part of the broadcast, the communication between the FIA and the teams, which is a regular part of what we do regularly, said Massey. So yesterday was the first time it started. The F1 group through their broadcast has been doing some trials in the background. All the teams had been advised and this weekend is the first time it has been live to air. Hamilton went on to claim hit, uh, victory, his third of the season to extend his advantage over Verstappen to 14 points. Mazepin classified a twice lapped 19th at the rear of the field. So uh, it's a very new thing there, guys. I mean, we're, we're very used to seeing radio um, being played out on the broadcast. I think the first time actually was, ooh, how far we're gonna go back? Late 80s, early 90s, Nathan, would you say? It's been a while, probably 80s. So yeah, it's been um, plenty of time. Uh, yeah, I wasn't quite sure in terms of it, when, when it was happening, uh, I wasn't quite sure whether it was kind of an error. It said Mercedes on the graphic at first, but um, yeah, it was it was interesting to see, you know, having uh, Toto Wolf being projected on, on the radio, not, not talking to one of his drivers, but communicating with Michael Massey. It was, yeah, yeah I, I quite liked it. And if we could hear from the other team bosses throughout the season, yeah, I'd be fine with that. And just, just gets an insight in terms of how, how they're feeling during the Grand Prix and having that tension, especially with the battle with Red Bull, was, was good to see. Mm -hmm. Hannah, <laughs> this was obviously a very new thing for Formula One with uh, team principals getting their nose out um, when it comes to uh, making a complaint to the race officials. But I think that's something that, you know, people are sort of saying, I wonder what... Um, Total Wolf has been saying to Michael Massey, well, there's your proof. I think in a good way, I think looking at it, it's a good way of doing it uh, to show that Total Wolf wasn't going to hang around and that we've seen evidence or heard evidence of what's actually been said between the two. Yeah, I feel like after going Nathan at the time, I thought something had actually gone wrong on the broadcast. But overall, Formula One likes a gimmick. It likes to do something different, like 
for example, I'm not the biggest fan of the AWS, uh, AWS graphics, where it's like overtaking difficulty and things like that. Then I'm not a fan of because, to be honest, some of the times they seem a bit odd. With this, I will take my hat off to Formula One. I think it's a good idea. I feel like, I wish to be honest, they'd done it before. I think one of the biggest issues a lot of people had, I think, with how the FIA operated, and especially with like race stewards and decisions and things like that, was there feels very much a disconnect between, say, F1, the drivers and the fans. I like, for example, previously when they showed videos inside the drivers' briefings at the weekends, I'd like to see more from the stewards' rooms. But overall, adding this radio messaging, showing that level of communication between the two, I think adds something more to it, especially in those situations. We know how frustrating those blue flags can be for the front-running drivers. And I think showing that level of communication more will only benefit, especially, I'd like to see it, say, for example, if, say, for example, Lando Norris got the black and white flags and sportsmanlike behaviour, was it would have been interesting to have heard the race control um race control and FIA message of that so overall I would say Formula One have done a good job with these and it'll be interesting to see how they apply them going forward because I'd like to see more of them. Well we've seen in Formula E actually where the race control is actually speaking directly to the drivers and we hear that live on the broadcast which I don't know if that would suit Formula One as much because you know we've got a race to be watching we're not there to listen to a, um, a constant communication um, message from race controls to the drivers but you know, if there was any advice in regards to a blue flag situation, just go faster, make the cars as fast as each other. I think realistically, Formula One has opened up a new window for new fans. I, just a, a bit of a, an example, I was watching the race uh, with my girlfriend on Skype and she turned around to me and she just asked me flat out, who's Michael Massey? Because she genuinely did not know. So I think that just shows that newer Formula One fans are learning a lot more from the graphics that are being introduced. It's a shame that AWS, no offence to Formula One, is just so wrong because when you look at the tyre graphics and uh, Bahrain last year, it said that George Russell's tyres uh, were on 0% performance and then he turned around and set the fastest lap of the race. So I think it's the first time, in my opinion, that Formula One's introduced a graphic which really is helping the sport. And like you said, Formula E uh, with Scott Elkins, I believe his name is the race director in that series, having that constant window into the series and having the constant window behind the scenes, it's almost bringing that Netflix drive to the survive element of things and putting it in the live coverage. Formula One fans like that series because it takes a deeper dive into the background. And with Formula One almost promoting that, it's, it's only going to be a good thing for the sport. And yeah, we could well see more of that in the future. You know, if there was a, like a collision between Hamilton and Verstappen, imagine Christian Horner or Total Wolf getting on to be the race director and then for it to, uh, you know, transpire. You know, if something all of a sudden explicit was said and decided to, they probably wouldn't broadcast it, but, you know, if something's been said between the pair of them and decided to broadcast it, that would just pff, enliven the race and enliven the sport in a flash, for sure. Um, so let's go on to our final story. It's to do with Alex Albon who is set to get an F1 run in the Barcelona tyre test. Red Bull's Alex Albon will return to Formula 1 machinery this week as part of the latest Pirelli run tyre test. Albon started 36 Grand Prix with Toro Rosso and Red Bull across 2019 and 2020, scoring two podiums, but lost his rate seat for 2021 at the expense of Sergio Perez. Albon was retained by Red Bull in a test and reserve role and is also due to represent the brand in its Alfa Tari colours in this year's overhauled DTM series. 
Pirelli is in the process of honing its 18-inch tyres ahead of their introduction in 2022 and has arranged a two-day test at the Circuit de Barcelona Catalunya this week. Red Bull, Alpine and Alfa Romeo will be in action at the Spanish Grand Prix venue on Tuesday and Wednesday in order to gather data for Pirelli. Albon will carry out duties for Red Bull, while former Toro Rosso teammate Danny Cafiat is poised to run for Alpine and Robbie Kubica will get behind the wheel of Alfa Romeo machinery. Albon has previously outlined his desire to return to a Formula 1 race seat in 2022. The upcoming test is set to be the fifth of ten arranged by sole tyre supplier Pirelli prior to the usual group post-season gathering in Abu Dhabi. Now we've got another test, guys. I mean, Lewis Hamilton did a um, the tyre test at, um, at Imola with these 18-inch tyres. I can't remember who else it was that was um, in there, maybe in Bottas as well. But it seems to be gathered, pe gathering pace for these um, for these cars, and it, I think the more we are seeing these 18-inch tyres, the more excited we are for next year coming around. And Will, we begin with you on this. Albon getting a um, a tyre test with the 18-inch. Um, how is how is that going to help Formula One and for the teams and the cars himself? Well, it helps Formula One in the fact that they're gathering data about the new tyres. They're learning something new about the new regulations which are coming in. That goes for Pirelli and the teams as well. All of them want to gather as much data as possible. Pirelli, so they can improve the selection of tyre and the way they go about it next year. And the Formula One team, so they can gain an advantage and develop their cars for next season, this entirely new regulation uh, series, so they can work their tyres properly. We've seen so many teams this year either overusing their tyres or not heating them up properly, as is something that every season in Formula One will have for certain teams. Albon, on the other hand, in my opinion, him getting the test is only a positive for me because it shows that he's still in the limelight in some way or another. Obviously, fingers crossed he might get an FP1 or uh, maybe even make a race appearance if a driver falls ill from COVID-19 or can't make it to a race for some reason. So Albon is out there showing he is still there. And no offence, but Red Bull last year, they put him into a car in his first season in Formula 1 next to Max Verstappen. We didn't see Pierre Gasly, who is now touted as one of the best drivers on the grid with his stint at AlphaTauri. So I would like Albon to come in to AlphaTauri once again, possibly next to Yuki Tsunoda if Gasly moves on. And the tyre test is just a way for him to keep gaining experience and to keep up to date, really, on the Formula 1 regulations and how to drive an F1 car, DTM is good experience in terms of racing, but it's not a single-seater category. It's nothing like Formula 1. So it's good to see that Albon is still in the limelight, and it's good to see that Red Bull haven't just chucked him out of the way like so many of their drivers before. Nathan, I don't know if you've um, we've discussed before about the 18-inch tyres in the past with Imola, but um, Alfa Romeo, Red Bull and Alpine getting their opportunity to do the tyre test um, this week. What can we learn from this particular test that's coming up? Well, yeah, we will learn a bit about the 18-inch tyres and and how they are adapting and relevant to to, to Formula One next year. So we we will learn a bit about um, what we can expect from 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 the kind of racing, how long they will last going going forward for for next year. Of course, it's a bit different to, to, to the current specification of tyres and Pirelli and, and all of the teams will want to look, gather as much data as possible to learn for 2022, you know, um, 
for for the teams. They want to try and gain, as Will said, a competitive advantage. And then for Pirelli to try and inter, try and improve the tyres structurally and to try and have some kind of uh, sporting bearing on how the tyres are working in terms of making sure that they degrade, but not too fast that we have poor races where the drivers are just managing their tyres throughout the entire Grand Prix. Not that I need reminding of 2013 there, Hannah. I don't know if you were around watching Formula 1 back then, but we learned, you know, Pirelli tyres can sometimes be very, very fragile when it comes to either, you know, being on them for too long, um, overcooking them. What's the one? I can't remember the word I was like locking up or flat spot. That was the after. That was the word I was after flat spot. Um, but I'm hoping we do get durable tyres, but in a way which enforces teams into sort of a separate kind of strategy, like we saw in Barcelona. I mean, Barcelona was a fine example of strategy. What can these tyres deliver, which the current 13-inch ones are not doing so? Yeah, I feel like the 18-inch tyres should provide an interesting setup for. Formula going forward, I feel like the one thing I do worry is when they try to make them more durable, teams take that as the view, okay, well, one stop every race for the rest of the season. I mean, I'd like it to be more that, in my head, at least I'd like mandatory two stops at every race, because at least then you would force them to play with strategies, but also it meant that the tyres you were on, you would actually push on, because I think durability sometimes comes at the expense of Teams end decide that we won't push as hard. I also think it'd be interesting seeing, obviously, with the tests coming up, is how they work on the different cars in terms of the downforce and things like that, because obviously, why the wheel blades hopefully more grip, whether it benefits a certain kind of setup more, and obviously, with it being tyre test, all the data share between all of the teams. So, whether it'd be interesting to see which teams, I don't think it'll massively sway their plans for 2022. But whether some teams maybe said, oh, I might tweak our downforce a little bit more here or there to maybe suit the tyres better. I also think it will be incredibly helpful for F1, the fact that you've obviously got Albon's probably in the best position of the three doing the test this time out because obviously recent experience in the car, a lot of knowledge of it. Kvyat's going to be driving the Alpine for the first time in Kibitza. He's obviously done some F1 appearances but hasn't had full-time racing in a few years. So overall, I would say It'll be an interesting setup with these 18-inch tyres, but I think I'm still a little bit cautious because we've seen previously, for example, when Pirelli set up all those different compounds, the ultrasofts and things like that, sometimes they'll make a plan and it doesn't always get executed very well. Hopefully, they've listened to the teams and have actually honed in on what they've done and that we don't have a situation like in 2013 where the tyres were going off every five minutes. So... I'm cautiously optimistic, I would say, about these inch tyres. But the, the big rims seem to work well in Formula 2, so I think it'll be an interesting one going forward. Of course. And uh, that'll be the uh, the tyre test on Tuesday and Wednesday. We'll find out how the drivers have been getting on there. Let's answer a question from Chris, guys. He's coming and saying, should Catalina be on the calendar, full stop? Who wants to answer that first? I can. Go ahead, Will. Um, for now, yes, because in my opinion, this race was good. Um, Catalonia has thrown up some fantastic racing in the past few years, 2016, when the two Mercedes came together. And there is the the ability for the teams to fight around the circuit. The, the cars are, it's a bit like Monaco, the cars are just too wide. 
and that final sector with the chicane uh, i saw a youtube video i can't remember who made it but he went through all the different possibilities of how to change the track and obviously the most predominant one is bring back the old layout it, that poses a bit of a, a safety error or a safety element in terms of bringing that back but the cars have halos now safety is a lot better than it was in 2007 so in my opinion if the new regulations next season fail to bring about good racing at the circuit barcelona catalonia fine remove it blow it up rebuild a new circuit for spain and have a brand new spanish grand prix on the calendar and where cars are able to to fight but right now in my opinion there is no course for any track to be removed from formula one because it could just be a factor of the, the cars are too big i mean i suppose there's no point just ripping up a, a circuit nathan you might as well just try something a little bit different if it was just me just remove the chicane and that's it yeah there are definitely options around circuit de barcelona catalonia uh, I agree with Will that this race was was good. It, it created good strategy and it showed that we can have good racing around Barcelona. You know, um, of course, in the last few years, it's been quite processional. But I think going forward, that perhaps changing the layout could be the way forward. They modified Turn Ten this year, which in Form One didn't create too many opportunities, but perhaps it allowed them to get a bit closer going into the last sector to. Uh, allow more opportunities to for them to pass down down the front straight, but the the most logical option would then to to be to miss out the final chicane, taking uh, the route that they did uh, pre uh, two thousand and seven, which to be honest, in terms of safety, it's a similar uh, format, a similar kind of uh, layout of corner to the final corner in Portimao. So I don't think there should be that much of an issue. And on a on a wider point, in terms of uh, the um, number of circuits that we have at the moment, I think we could consider alternating Barcelona and Portimao. You know, they're quite close in terms of location, and for Formula One, it would make good commercial sense. Seeing as, as the densely populated number of trucks we have at the moment, I think that could be an option that that they'd uh, consider going forward. Is it just as simple as circuit homologation, Hello, Because the, the wider part, that fast right-hander is there. So could it just be down to the FIA and the Spanish organisers agreeing that the second to last corner um, without the chicane is the way to go? Yeah, I would say so, to be honest. With, I think it's a difficult one with the uh, Barcelona track is overall that second to last chicane. They need to go back to the pre-2007 format. I feel like that would work a lot better. And I like the idea of Formula 1 being more open to tweak tracks. I think the one thing that does kind of frustrate me often Formula 1 is if a track doesn't work somewhere, okay. For example, the discussions around building a new track in Brazil to replace into Lagos. Discussions on that was why do you need to build another track? A probably slightly different situation. But overall, if you've got a track that works okay, why not change a little bit about it they don't like? I think... I'm in agreement with Will, is this year, I wouldn't drop any off the calendar on the basis of this year, just because of regulation changes. And I like Nathan's idea of alternative with Portimao. I would say the difficulty is with the Special Grand Prix, for example, is a lot of the times that driver qualifies on the front row, they'll win. Most of the time, there's been a few exciting moments across the years, say, for example, in 2016, 
but you're very much hoping and wishing for something to happen a lot of the time this year was actually quite exciting because of the amount of overtakes and fighting but if it goes back when the regulation changes come in if it goes back to that kind of processional very boring format then i would say to take it off the calendar because overall we've got 23 races on the calendar this year we can afford and a lot of amazing circuits around the world that we could go and visit Formula One can afford to be picky, and I think it's high time that Formula One put, if it's going to have money to attract, then the other tracks it has have to be the best of the best and not just average. Let's answer Jack Taylor's question. He's saying Hamilton proved once again it's not just the car, but a driver plus car combination, as once again Bottas was effectively nowhere. Do you think Mercedes will either A, replace him this season, or B, wait till the end? Who wants to answer that first? I'll go first on this. Yeah, you, you go first then, Hannah. Why not? Oh, I think, I think firstly, Hamilton showed that it wasn't just the car. It was him, but also combination with the team as well. I think it was the contrast, say, for example, Stappen, telling his engineers that his tyres were going off and them not deciding to box him. Whereas Hamilton knew their, their strategy of having the seconds off was risky. It might not have paid off, but Hamilton trusted his engineers to know that even if it didn't go right, was it was worth a shot. And I think it does show a level of confidence. I think the fact that obviously Hamilton is a seven times world champion does show in that aspect because Hamilton can have that level of confidence in his team. He knows, for example, things go well, whereas Red Bull, for example, have gone under the hungry 2019. I think there isn't necessarily as confidence Max doesn't have as much confidence in Red Bull's strategy as Lewis has in Mercedes. In terms of the Bottas situation, it, I think it ultimately depends on what Hamilton decides to do. If Hamilton signs another contract, I can see him maybe signing for a year. It's whether Mercedes, how much say Hamilton's allowed to have over who drives next to him. Because if I was Mercedes, I would be getting George in. Because you know Hamilton's not going to be sticking around for the next five years, no matter what. By that point, he'll be nearly 40, or around 40 by that point. He's not going to be sticking around much longer. Yeah. And overall, I would say is the sense of option would be for Mercedes to get George Russell in. Because Bottas, A, is proving that the only reason he's being helping Mercedes was by being Hamilton's kind of wingman. That only works if he's actually doing what Mercedes won't do, say, for example, the fact that he held, he clearly held Hamilton up was not going to go down well. And also, he's not bringing the fight to Verstappen. If you're not bringing the fight to Verstappen, if Perez eventually gets to grips with that Red Bull car and pushes the Red Bull at the front, then what is Bottas's point? And overall, I think Mercedes are maybe starting to realise that all the teams around them in those front groups have a young gun driver that they're going to push forward in Verstappen, in Leclerc, in Norris, for example, Mercedes currently don't. They have George, but he's not in that car. And I think they've realised now that they can't wait any longer to get him that front level of experience because Hamilton's not going to be there forever. Well, Hannah's such on a really good point. I mean, this is Hamilton's ninth season with Mercedes, would you believe? And um, yeah, I mean, good times have to come to an end eventually. I mean, the longest I've seen a driver stay at a team was Michael Schumacher with Ferrari. Um, he was there for 11 years. Uh, during that time, he's won five championships with them. But for Hamilton, 
well, I say with Hamilton, should Mercedes consider dropping Bottas mid-season or is it the more sensible option just to wait until the end of the year? Because for me, just wait until the end of the year. Why change when you don't need to? I think right now, Mercedes, uh, obviously, they've been coming out in the media and saying, we're not Red Bull. We're not going to risk this season just so we can try and get a better driver. They're leading the Constructors' Championship because Hamilton, let's face it, Hamilton is almost carrying Bottas. Bottas was fighting a Williams in Imola. And I know that we keep on bringing that point up and up and up. But it's a point which is going to remain on Bottas's back for the rest of this season. It's unacceptable in the fact that he's so low down compared to Lewis and compared to Max. He was struggling to get past Leclerc for most of the race. He had to jump him immediately, first in the pit stops. And he's just not there. He is purely there, in my opinion, as a Mercedes wingman. He is there to hold up Verstappen if Verstappen tries to fight Lewis, like Lewis did yesterday. And if he's holding up Hamilton when Hamilton is trying to push for the race lead, that's not going to go down well, especially when Toto Wolff in Bahrain, when Bottas was trying to talk to him, he just slashed it across the neck, said, no, end the conversation there. I don't want to talk to you. Toto has been having to come over the radio and almost egg Bottas on, like, come on, do do your job. Do your job properly. And for a team principal to have to do that, it just shows that Mercedes know that Bottas is not performing where they want him to be. And with George Russell performing well in that Williams, like Hannah said, uh, I can't remember what point it was, but George Russell was nearly making it into Q3 in a Williams. So if George can do that in a Williams, what can he do in a Mercedes? But if they were to throw George into to the Mercedes, he would have to adapt to that new car in essentially what would be a pointless second half of the season because it's not like 2020 where drivers could be afforded to be thrown into a new car because, oh, you got the next one, you got the same one next season. It's an entirely new set of regulations. So see Bottas out to the end of the year, see how he performs for the rest of the season. And if he's not your guy, he's not your guy, get rid of him. And that may sound harsh it may sound wrong but that's formula one formula one is a cut for its sport if you don't perform you're not going to be in there for long and with bottas's perform right now uh, i i think he'll be out of formula one at the end of this year yeah nathan for your information bottas has won only nine races during his four years in a bit with the mercedes team and it's just you know he's really got to pull his finger out if he wants to stay in the drive and it what could be his savior is lewis hamilton not being there um, possibly, um, because I'm 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 not quite sure about the dynamic about when Hamilton leaves Mercedes. He 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 will leave in the next few years. Where whether they'll want Bottas to be that team leader, whether they'll want whether they trust him to be able to beat Verstappen and Leclerc in in the future, because Hamilton is the one who who is able to be to to be competitive to be to be to sorry to to be able to uh, beat. Uh, max on a fairly regular basis at the moment, being able to extract the maximum out of that car. And if Hamilton wasn't in the team, would Red Bull have won all the races this year? Possibly. So um, I think they need to think about um, whether Bottas is their guy. And while Hamilton might want Bottas to remain uh, as part of the team because he is someone that he gets on with well and feels comfortable on the team, and he certainly has the more than the measure of Valtteri over the course of a season. Bottas hasn't even won as many races as Nico Rosberg did during his time at Mercedes, and Bottas has been there for longer now. So 
it's an interesting one. I hope George gets his opportunity because he certainly deserves it, but uh, I very much doubt that that's what brought us out mid-season. Yeah, I don't see the change because I just don't see the point. And next year's cars are going to be a lot different anyway. So if Mercedes have got a plan that's currently working and Bottas is still there whereabouts, why, 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 why change it? You know, you've got to be really careful with what you wish for. And with the way that Red Bull are going about their business this year and their hot pursuit for the championship, you've got to maintain that level of loyalty and continuity within a team like Mercedes. You know, a team that's won seven championships on the chart don't make a driver change during the season. They just don't because they've already equipped, they're already equipped in the machine. Let's end the show with something, guys, for Monaco. What are we feeling for Monaco? Because Hamilton has three wins, two for Stappen, one. Will, we want your say maybe for the next race. What can we hope for in Monaco next time out? I think it will be the uh, return of Red Bull. I think that the Red Bull package has been phenomenal around Monaco for the past few seasons. Obviously, 2019, they didn't entirely show it with Hamilton managing to hold off Verstappen, but Verstappen was behind him that entire race. And I think if Verstappen would have overtaken Hamilton, he would have just pulled away into the distance and, and outdone the five-second penalty, which he was given. So I think Verstappen has matured a lot as a driver since the days when he crashed in every session at Monaco in 2016 or when he put it in the wall in FP3 in 2018 had to start the back. So I think Verstappen will win. Hamilton will be in second. And in all honesty, third place, I'm not entirely sure about because I don't believe Bottas will perform to the best of his ability when he reaches Monaco. I think it will be either Sergio Perez or maybe even a fairy tale story of Daniel Ricciardo. He's always been pretty nifty around the streets of Monaco, so perhaps he can take advantage of some strategy. And of course, it's Charles Leclerc's home Grand Prix as well, uh, to add to it. So Charles Leclerc could be someone to look out for in Monaco. Nathan, Monaco, what can we expect? Yeah, I, I hope for the championship state that we can see Red Bull back on top. You know, Max has had a, a, a mixed uh, past around the principality, but I think this time with the level of maturity and the way that he's developed, um, he will be able to take pole position at Monaco. And then uh, if he gets down to Sandoval first, he should be able to win the Grand Prix fairly easily. I think Hamilton will, in all honesty, finish uh, second. I I don't see that the second drivers at Mercedes and Red Bull respectively being able to get into the mix. They just don't quite seem uh, as one with the car compared to their teammates. And as a result, I think they'll both be beaten by Charles Leclerc and Ferrari. Let's, let's hope for a fairy tale around the Principality. Yeah. I know we spoke about the Formula E race earlier. Do you honestly think that Formula One could maybe live up to it? Not a chance, to be honest. <laughs> outright I'm prepared for it I'm prepared for it to be an interesting race I am not prepared for say for example the spectacular overtakes that we saw in Formula E because ultimately they're not going to fit they're not going to get around the Nouvelle Chicane without for example one plowing into the back end of the other I think I'd certainly see it's going to be Hamilton and Verstappen fighting up the front I think Verstappen I will say has matured a lot since the days at the Principality, I think he'll possibly have the measure of Hamilton. I think if he qualifies on pole, he will have so much confidence heading into that weekend that I think he'll be able to pull away with it. I can't see Bottas and I can't see Perez fighting up the front. I think they'll probably be around maybe fifth or sixth, mainly because I think Leclerc, even though he hasn't always had the best of luck at this home race, could end up being a factor, but I do think it could be 
kind of uh, movie star mode for Daniel Ricardo. I think he goes well at Monaco. He'll want, I think, especially because of Norris getting that podium so early on, he's going to want a point to prove. He wants to get a podium as soon as he can for McLaren now to kind of quieten people down because of how many people thought that Norris was going to write the floor, wipe the floor with him. So overall, I'm going to actually go for um, Stappen to win, Hamilton second and Ricardo third. And I'm actually going to go for Williams to get a point because I think George, it's going to happen at some point. And I think this is a golden opportunity for Williams given how tight the field will be. If he can put in a good qualifying on Saturday, short of any electrical problems or major incidents, I reckon George could get up in the points. And, you know, he's been beckoning to do that for some time now, so it's just a matter of time he does get that point. Will Monaco be the location? Who knows? And um, one thing that could um, have a say on the weekend is the weather, because we don't really know what the weather's going to be like in Monaco. Even at this time of the year, we, ha- we have had some wet races in the past, not to mention 1996. But yeah, anything can happen in Monaco. And as what Mario will say, anything can happen, and it usually does. And that is all we've got time for this week. Thank you to those who have sent in their questions. Next week, Tina Sparrera, Jordan Haynes and Manena Manatau will be with me to preview the Monaco Grand Prix. From Hannah, Will, Nathan and all of us at Motorsport Week, it's goodbye.